motor unit recruitment, and two, stretch shortening cycle. So that's so, when you get a bunch of cars together all at once? No, that's not what that is. <laughs> the anecdotal, all right? It's not this even anecdotal. Guys, they, they, so, they, they do. They here's do. The thing, all high-level athletes take steroids. But no, not all high-level athletes. All, high level, not all, high level all athletes. of them. Every no, single one on the it's entire place. It's not true. Everyone who is stronger than me does <laughs> steroids. It's not true. It's not true. But guys, but a huge amount of people do dope. You get into this trap of, I'm going to push heavier and heavier because you want that simple. You want to get a PB. You want to lift more. And it's really easy to slip into that, into that, um, that trap and then all of a sudden you just really have pretty lousy technique there but you're grinding out these heavy reps if that's the case for you take the hit to the ego back the weights way down if you're an accountant and you work for a really busy firm and you're on your computer all day every day and you don't get much time away from it and you're just sitting in a chair all day long you're not moving you're not using much of anything so of course you're not going to be able to keep any strength that if that saying comes to mind use it or lose it mm. it's true Secret. You just want to be more like me. Secret men's business. You might get an invite eventually. Don't worry. We're getting a new table soon. We're getting a new table soon. But don't bump it deliberately because then it's going to... Don't do it. Come on, man. Be professional. Because it's not quite... This is a very professional podcast. It is. Welcome back to the professional... Big Flex podcast, everybody. The most professional podcast that you will ever ever watch. Welcome back, everybody. Whew, all right. We have a question and answer time podcast for you today, yeah. which um, which are good. <clears throat> they're quite popular and uh, they're fun to do. They are. And they we are get to fun. answer your questions. Um, and they're actually all serious questions, which is amazing. No one tried to slip in any uh, oh, yeah. anything below the belt there, which, yeah. was, uh, which is a, was a nice surprise. People do that often, and they very rarely make the cut. Yeah. Uh, there's a few times they have. They've been quite fun as well, actually. Yeah. Glad that you humor the people every try, now and again. Try to humor the people yeah. around. Yeah. Um, yeah. But look, guys, if you're watching this or listening to this, first of all, if you're just listening to this, head on over to the YouTube page, uh, the Strength Institute channel, and uh, and subscribe. Like and subscribe to the video because it's always better in video format. It is. Um, you know, and if you don't have a TV or a phone or a tablet or a computer and you're somehow listening to this... Um, I, mean, I don't so know. First of all, sort your life out. Go and, to a digital and cafe and, <laughs> and hire one and, and subscribe to our channel. I mean, um, not to toot our own horns, but it's pretty fantastic content. So That's right. And we're almost that. up to 500 subscribers, which is pretty almost. cool. I think we're at like 472 as of this morning. So yeah. it's just... It's creeping up there. It's getting better. It's getting better. It's just uh, trekking on up, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so if you hadn't already, please like and subscribe. Definitely subscribe, share, comment. Um, and give a thumbs up, and that all helps the channel grow, which yeah. is great. Um, question and answer time podcast today. So we have one, two, three, four. Oh, hang on, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten different people, and there might be a couple you know, double questions in there as well. So let's before we get started. Yeah, before we get started, these questions are answer podcasts. The questions come from our clients. We usually put it up on the whiteboard when we decide we want to do another one, and people just write down the name and a question. It's true. Uh, I would like a lot more interaction from the viewers, people who aren't from the gym. So if you like these podcasts and you want a question answered, comment. Comment on this video. Go back and watch the other questions and answers podcast and have a, have a, have a listen to those. And, yeah. and ask us some questions because these are quite fun for us. With a lot of them, a lot of them, a few of them, we have to do quite a bit of research and with like learn some new things. Hey, not today though. All these ones were easy, guys. They were actually. All easy. Uh, but it's, it's, it's quite enjoyable for us. We like these ones as well. So think of some good questions and, and put them in the comments. Please do. Please do. And um, yeah, uh, do that. Ask us a question. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Nailed it. Um, All right. So, so we're just going to get and, and here's the thing. Is like, is, is that because if you do that 
And obviously we can't answer it then in the comments. I mean, we could, but we won't. What I'll do is I'll write it down. So the first two questions today are actually questions that were asked by Deb um, after or too late. She might have asked them right before we released the last one or in the comments as well. Right. So if we don't get it on that one, it will be on the next one. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And, um, and we're going to start that right now. So Deb asks, uh, can you correct a muscular imbalance via volume and intensity on different limbs. So what she's saying there, uh, I'm assuming, and I'm sorry if I overstepped the line and just make assumptions here, Deb, is that if you have, let's say, a weaker left arm and you're on uh, dumbbells and you can get to rep eight, no worries, and then rep nine and 10, no worries on the right, but the left is like lagging behind, can you do other things? Could you do perhaps maybe uh, train with a lighter weight with your good arm so that the left arm has a bigger stimulus or could you do extra reps in the left arm? And the answer, Deb, is you could, but you probably shouldn't, um, is my opinion anyway. And we'll, we'll get Adrian's take on this as well. But basically, uh, if you have a limiting factor via a muscular imbalance, that muscle is usually going to fatigue out first. So if you keep putting the time and effort in, its stimulus will be higher the stimulus of that weaker muscle feels will be higher than the good one. And so it should slowly catch up over time. And it's also really important and a great reason why we use unilateral exercises like dumbbell bench as opposed to just always a barbell bench because it really highlights some of those imbalances and it gives the body a chance to correct them. That makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, it would be just a bit too hard to like to judge. I feel like I'm 20% weaker here, so I'll get a 20% heavier dumbbell. It's just it's messy, and um, and it's probably you know you'd probably because you're holding different weights, then your body's probably going to be twisting a little bit. It's just not right. So try to pick the same the same weights in each hand um, and just work as best you can within your recommended rep and set range. And then in time, you should see uh, that balance out a little bit. And if it's an ongoing issue, it's probably an underlying either mechanical issue. So like you might have someone might have, let's say, scoliosis in their back and things just don't quite line up the same and one side might be a little hindered because of that. Or you might have some underlying mobility issues from an old tendon injury or ligament injuries, which is, means you can't get through a range of motion. So there might be some work that you could do on the side to help um, uh, prevent those sort of imbalances or, or to help correct those as well, as well as doing just um, the sort of standard weights. So I read that a little bit differently. So <clears throat> the way I read that is, can you correct most of the imbalances via volume intensity on different limbs, as in, different volume or intensity on different limbs. So if you were doing, for example, like um, like bench press is the same example, dumbbell bench press, do 10 reps on this side because it's the good arm and then do like 15 reps with a lighter weight on the other arm or like something like that where you change it from side to side. So that's kind of how I read it. Yeah. And um, what well, I think, yeah, I think that's what the volume part was. I was, I guess, speaking more on the intensity part where you yeah. would hold a 10 and a 12, but the same thing, 10 reps versus 15 reps. Yeah, exactly. It's the I mean, same problems you encounter. Exactly the same. The, yeah. the whole issue with um, trying to change things up uh, too much side to side unilaterally is it makes it difficult because you can't really judge which side catches up. Generally, the, the rule of thumb I use is that if one side's weaker, then you go to the weight that that side could handle for both sides and just slowly progress. Even though the good side's good, the good side's good. Like progress as the imbalances slowly work themselves out. So then you can work on strength after that. But if you if you start changing things from side to side, then you're holding different weights, you can create new imbalances for the other side. If that's stronger and better and it keeps going and getting better and the side isn't quite catching up fast enough, then you start to create new imbalances and problems. Yeah, so it's exactly. Usually rule of thumb is just 
work with what you can do with the bad, bad side, I guess, and um, just like very slowly progress until it catches up to the good side. I so, would, I would agree. Yeah, I would, yeah. I concur, sir. I and, concur. And I don't, what's, what's the? Uh, uh, I like, use some abbreviations. Just yeah. yeah. What do you I use some shorthand there. Trying to save some whiteboard space. Uh, <laughs> Deb also asked basically if you were to compare a bodybuilder and a powerlifter, okay, you want to compare uh, their muscle mass to their relative strength. All right. Oh, bodybuilder's stronger. Hurry oh, You shut your mouth. <laughs> you shut your mouth when you talk to me. He's trolling you, Deb. Um, so basically, what what you're looking at here is is that most bodybuilders are mass monsters, right? Now, obviously, there's like new categories like men's physique. Um, where they wear board shorts because they're losers, <laughs> right? And you have like the classic physique, which is what the Arnies used to look like. And then you have like the mass monsters, like the open Olympia, Olympia bodybuilders. Now they're just or monsters. They also known as muscular potatoes. Yeah, muscular potatoes um, is a great term. And they all wear chocolate body. <laughs> so, so we're going to post some photos. You don't know what chocolate body is. Um, it's the opposite of blackface. Um, and it's allowed in bodybuilding apparently. So there you go. But look, bodybuilders generally... No, don't put it on their face. That's what I said. It's the opposite of blackface. It's chocolate body. Body down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 But you're allowed to be whatever color you want. I watched one the other day. A guy was gold. It was like a statue. <laughs> it's like a statue. Yeah. It's like a bronze it's amazing. god. Yeah. Cast and just from the chin. Yeah. Down. Chin down. <laughs> neck down. Um, basically, Anyways, back yeah. To the your, your bodybuilders are generally going to be um, always looking jacked. That is their goal: is to look big and jacked on stage, which generally yeah. means yeah. low body fat and high muscle mass. Now, if you were to compare that to a power lifter whose goal is not to look big but to lift heavy. Um, <laughs> can, I, can I make a comparison? Please. Like Nevin over here, who is not lean <laughs> at all, but is uh, very strong. It's, um, we call it the power belly, all right? <laughs> Within reason, there's a power belly. It's a real thing. You can ask us about that on our next question. It's true. Podcast. It's true. Um, is that I would say pound for pound, power lifters are way stronger than bodybuilders. Yeah. Um, through history, you've had some absolute freaks like Ronnie Coleman, um, who you know has been shown. I think so here's the deal. He was known as like the strongest bodybuilder of all, like all time, especially back in his day. He outworked everyone. He lifted more than everyone. Um, even when he he beat. Jay Cutler and some of the later Olympias, people were like, oh, I think Jay was in better shape. So he made an effort to go out there and like lift more weight than everyone in his training. Like I'm the best, right? And and I think the biggest squats he did in a squat suit was like 800 and something pounds for a double. I and mean, you're talking like powerlifters in, in squat suits are doing, you know, well over a thousand, like well over a thousand. You got guys like Dylan Hellregal, who not in a squat suit, just in knee wraps and a belt, is doing like 455 kilo squats, which is uh, mm -hmm. you know a thousand pounds. So so, so powerlifters and, and Ronnie Coleman was like 130 yeah. kilos. There's he wasn't no a small man. He yeah. was big and jacked. So yeah, um, strength athletes like powerlifters, Olympic lifters are definitely going to have a lot stronger muscles compared to bodybuilders. And it's because of the style of training, and this is really the crux of it: hypertrophy and uh, and, and just general strength training, like strength. And conditioning are very different. They elicit a different uh, sort of reaction in your body, and you don't need to. And this is a very common misconception: you don't need to lift heavy weights to get big as a bodybuilder. Uh, that's you just don't need to. It's all about the the rep ranges. It's about high volume, 
and lots of it. And the intensity of it as well. It doesn't have to be a heavy intensity, but you're trying to take your muscles to that failure point all the time and push that burn. But not as in, like, it's not so much about, it's not so much the focus is in the intensity because if your goal is to get five sets of 10 on squats because you want your quads to be enormous, well, then you're not pushing nearly as intense as you are with a, a powerlifter who's going for, like, one RMs leading up it's to a true. Comp, You know what and, I mean? And, um, and also, to, to the point on that, is that bodybuilders wouldn't use a lot of the same exercises that you would see powerlifters doing. So, like, yeah. are you... You're looking at bodybuilders, and yeah, of course they squat. But like squatting is the um, is the main exercise for squatting and powerlifting, right? You would squat. You don't do leg press because you want to have a big squat. Whereas do a lot of isolation work, heap of isolation a lot work, of isolation work, like leg extensions, calf raises, hack squats, curls, hack squats, like a million different exercises. And because the, the whole point is to sculpt their body. It's got body sculpting, bodybuilding. That's the whole point. So if you are just enormous, but you need to have your shoulders popping a little bit more than you do a very specific exercise for like rear delts, you, it's very, very specific. And bodybuilding coaches are pretty under, underrated as well. Uh, the good ones are actually really good at that, isolating oh, which parts of your physique need work and then being able to actually, instead of just going to the gym and training, it's exactly what to train, what isolation exercises to do, what muscles specifically need work. It's, it's more specifically about that it's about the physique it's not about the performance whereas powerlifting is the exact opposite it doesn't matter what you look like it's about the performance it's about how heavy you can lift because every kilo more that you weigh affects your coefficient and every kilo more that you lift affects your coefficient and that's the difference between getting a gold medal or not in a competition so it is all about performance whereas bodybuilding no one, no one cares right no one cares. this one look good on stage yeah exactly um, but then also with the with like what you talked about there about um finding the right muscle and isolating it and actually feeling that muscle work like if you are um squatting if you're a powerlifter and you're squatting it's not just your quads that are burning like if you're like a real sit-back squatter, your lower back might be absolutely screaming by a heavy set of six or eight, you yeah? um, Whereas if you've got a big back already and you just want to build your quads, you'll just sit in a leg press and just force the quads to work, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, it is a really different type of training. Um, and, and, and also, yeah, I mean, rep ranges as well for bodybuilding. They're doing, you know, high reps. They're doing eights, tens, twelves, fifteens, twenties, up to 30 reps. They're just getting this high, high volume to build that size. Now, in saying this, Deb, um, bodybuilders, because they have a giant, they call cross-sectional area, it's basically just that if I was to cut your quad in half, um, it's the size of the meat that I'm looking at, that good old meaty girth uh, of the muscles, the cross-sectional area of the muscles um, is related to uh, how much force that muscle can output. Obviously, the bigger the cross-sectional area, the more muscle fibers there are, the more work that that person could theoretically do. So when you see bodybuilders go across into powerlifting, um, that's actually a great base for them because they have this big cross-sectional area. If they can then convert across and start slow, like they have this great platform to work from. It's, it, that, it's, the, it's the part of powerlifting that nobody likes because it's a really important part as well. Volume. You usually swap between volume and strength to volume and strength. You build a really good base with volume and then move into strength work from there. And you, even seasoned athletes, go back and forth from volume to uh, strength training. And it, it's, it's hard and no one likes it mm. because volume is difficult. Um, but that's why bodybuilders are switching across because that's their bread and butter. That's why when they switch across, they tend to just like kind of hit the ground running, so to speak. Yeah, and yeah. a great example of that is Dan Efferding, um, who was a professional bodybuilder, absolutely jacked, went across into powerlifting um, and was a multi-world record holder in powerlifting. Like he's it, just a, a unit. And, it's, you know, obviously fantastic athlete, obviously extra supplementation, but, but, but 
regardless of all those facts, had a great base from, from strongman. In saying that, I've seen a couple strongmen, a, a powerlifting, go the other way. And because they had these like really dense muscles, when they start to do that volume, they blow up quite a bit as well. So they everything goes hand in hand, but it really specificity is king when it comes down to like that peak end of mass versus strength. Yeah. Yeah. And just remember, Deb, no one really cares. No one really cares what you can squat bench or deadlift when you're a bodybuilder so why would you even bother you know mm-hmm. you know what's the point yeah what's the point look at my pecs it's a popping popping pop i feel about that anyways yeah um yeah and then and actually on that's that a great that's a great double question there, it is on that point the what they, would they look like you can tell when a bodybuilder does bodybuilding because they're just enormous beasts of people uh, mm. depending on that category that they're in there's a lot of powerlifters out there that if you saw them walking down the street, you wouldn't know that they could deadlift 300 kilos. You know, it's a very unassuming sport, and I like that. I like that a lot more. Uh, I feel like bodybuilding is one of those things because it's purely aesthetic. It uh, it doesn't. It takes away from the performance aspect. It takes away from the sport itself. Um, so yeah, if there are, like we said, if there are any bodybuilders out there who are interested in getting into some strength training, like we said, <laughs> there's a gym we know that's pretty good at powerlifting. And uh, it's this really true. It's this gym. It's this gym. You've, you've already Come got to this gym. A, a pretty good base. So I mean, if you wanted to learn something new this year, you know, like 2022, new year, new me, I'm just yeah. saying, just. Throwing it out there. Just throw it out there. Just go get double vaxxed and then come on down <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> before Jam 31st. All right. Oh, my God. And on to the next question. Yep. <sighs> you can Claire. ask this one. Okay, so how do I prevent – Claire asks, how do I prevent knee valgus during squats? Now, knee valgus or valgus collapse is what happens when your knees cave in when you squat, which, if you know anything about squatting, is a big no-no. Actually, almost all of the time – during everything ever. It should never happen, especially in terms of performance, sport, everything. It just should never happen. It's usually because of a weakness in your glutes, usually. And uh, because you have that weakness in, weakness in your glutes, which the glutes are external rotators, your knees collapse inwards, it internally rotates. And that's usually what happens when uh, the knees collapse. So that valgus collapse during squats tends to be the, the main contributor is weak glutes. And the way that you can fix that is by strengthening your glutes quite a lot. Get a, a big old strong booty. different ways that you can yeah. do that as well. I think um, Adrian's spot on there. The, the Usually the first thing people would say is you got to strengthen your glutes. Um, because as you mentioned, external rotator is to take your leg, this is my arm, but pretend it's my leg, and externally rotate them. All right? So that's it. Externally rotate it. Um, so if if they can't keep up with the load that you're squatting or deadlifting, generally it will internally rotate and your knees will cave in. Um, also having sort of understrength quads can contribute to it as well if you're just not well, quite strong usually enough. Usually like eight yeah. times. Yeah. So, so usually it's some sort of um, combination of both. Like you want to strengthen your quads and you want to strengthen your glutes. Always. Now in saying this, guys, this is really normal. Now even when you watch yeah. some of the best lifters in the world, you will see their knees wanting to come in and they fight the urge often and you might not see it on their first attempts or second attempts, but but it's out there. You might watch the Olympics. These are the, the best clean and jerkers, the best snatch in the world and they their knees will buckle right in and it's not because they're doing it with poor technique. It's because they are pushing to the limit of yeah. their body. And usually those those technique issues that you have or those little imbalances or little weaknesses that you wouldn't even see year round until you push that one rep max. When you're pushing your body to its absolute limit, those tiny menial percentile little reductions in performance here and there where you would see those uh, like knees collapsing or shoulders rounding on deadlift, stuff like that. They really only come out when you're pushing max, max effort reps. Um, so yeah, like don't worry too much if it is 
obviously if they collapse so much that you just fail your squat, well then you've got some work to do. But those those sorts of things, they do happen on those max effort lifts. No one's picture perfect. Actually, that I lied. There are a couple of people. They're, They're pretty couple. pretty goddamn amazing yeah. lifters out there. But um you would see that in a lot of comps and you do see it in a lot of comps mm -hmm. just because it's it's hard to be perfect and to have your body in absolute perfect shape so yeah it's it's not always a bad thing if it always happens it's a bad thing but it's not always a bad here's thing. here's what, what i'm thinking if it's always happening or happening regularly so it's easy to get stuck into a trap guys so you think all right i'm going to go out and do my session with perfect technique and what happens is you have a really great session the next week you want to increase your weight so you put a little bit more weight on and what happens your knees just a tiny bit just wavering in a little bit and you're like you know that's still pretty solid and then i'm going to go up again next week and you get into this trap of, i'm going to push heavier and heavier because you want that simple you want to get a pb you want to lift more and it's really easy to slip into that into that um that trap and then all of a sudden you just really have pretty lousy technique there but you're grinding out these heavy reps if that's the case for you take the hit to the ego back the weights way down all right take it back and really that should be the goal every time you train is to have perfect form right and because we're not doing one rms every time that we lift the vast majority of time we're not doing one rms yeah so really you should have pretty spot on technique all the time so my suggestion would be to back the weights down all right and focus on having that perfect form you can also do supplementary exercises like big glute thrusts or hip raises with a barbell. You could do um, more isolation work like lunge work um, where you're sort of focusing on that glute and posterior chain. You can even work the squat itself. You can even even do things like pause squats, box squats where... Tempo squats. You go a lot slower with a lot less weight and work on taking the, the speed and movement of the rep out. It's a lot easier to work on your technique. You can actually look at yourself in the, in the mirror or if you don't have a mirror, just focus on the movement instead of just trying to hit hard reps and hit your usual squat technique. There's, there's lots of stuff you can do, even different exercises, yeah, even and now, supplementary exercises like RDLs, deadlifts, things like that. You can change and add those in to get some extra stimulus to increase the strength through your hips and back as well to help that out. Yeah, now, now, I'm not saying that this is the case, but if someone like Claire was to come from a sport like CrossFit where they just, you know, bombing out of the bottom of the squat, pow, 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 pow right? Um, because they're trying to get lift as much as they possibly can. They're trying to utilize that stretch shortening cycle. Um, they might be used to having their knees cave in and just be like an afterthought. So I would say, yeah, um, you're saying just change the how you squat. Pause squats, fantastic. You can go down, pause at the very bottom, come halfway up, pause again when the glutes are starting to kick in. Like there's, you can pause it in multiple spots. It doesn't have to be just at the bottom. Yep. Also tempo squats. So going really slow. So if you go down on like a three second count or a five second count and then pause at the bottom, all right, that's going to get rid of your stretch shortening cycle. It's going to ensure that you're doing a really good movement chain because it's almost impossible to do a bad technique squat if you're doing it in 10 seconds. Try your bit, like do a normal squat. Take a 10 second count to get to the bottom. If you do it with bad technique, like you'll probably fall over. <laughs> so, it, it, so that's a good way. Do tempo squats, really slow it on the way down, pause, really slow control drive on the way up. Um, and that might be a good way, but I'll definitely back the weights down and work on oh, being perfect. I, I back the weights down a lot. And the whole point of that, it's not necessarily about the weight. You're not trying to go heavy there. You're going slow enough that you can actually physically feel what you're doing wrong and you'll feel yourself tipping forward or leaning back or you'll see the knees come in slowly and you have time to correct it. Because when you're hitting one RMs, you're pushing so hard that you can't even see straight. So it's kind of hard to work on that when you're in your strength block. So that sort of stuff you can do with your strength block, sure, but it's, it's best done in the volume block as well because you've got so many reps to work that technique. By the time you've got up to your, your heavy strength block and you're doing your threes, twos and ones, you've done so much work on it that you don't even need to think about it anymore. Oh, yeah. Nice. Um, Fiona asks, during a break from the gym, what diminishes first, your aerobic capacity or your strength? 
So conditioning or the strength. All right. This was an interesting one. This was a fun one, Fiona. I like this one. And I did get onto the old Google Scholar there, looked up some peer-reviewed journal articles and came up with um, a pretty interesting finding, actually. So I found two good studies, and I'm sure there was plenty more out there, but I found two really good ones that I'm going to um, refer back to today. The first one looked at an untrained older population. So like um, middle to older aged, males and females, non-gym trained. Okay, uh, They did... I believe it was a 10-week strength and conditioning uh, training block where they did fitness and they also did uh, weights. And then they stopped training for 10 weeks as well. So 10 weeks on, 10 weeks off. And they measure them, um, their fitness and their strength at the end of the 10-week training block or at the start, at the end, and then after 10 weeks of doing nothing, the detraining period. And what they found was there was actually more diminished um, returns or gains were diminished in the uh, strength, in the strength area, Okay. Uh, and so I was like, you say diminished. So I say, so uh, they lost their strength more than they lost their fitness. Yep. Now take this with a pinch of salt, guys, because um, we're talking about an older population that's not trained. Okay. So if you're an older population, you're probably going to have some reduced hormone levels. All right. If you're not training, you know you're going to get those newbie gains, but then lose those newbie gains pretty quickly. You haven't actually built the muscle. And those that do build some muscle over 10 weeks, especially like older guys with low testosterone, you're not going to be able to maintain that muscle that you've gained. It's going to go back into muscular atrophy afterwards. So that was kind of interesting. The one that I liked more was looking at highly trained athletes. It was a four-week detraining period. So these are good um, athletes that, that are um, that are doing a high level strength training and fitness. And what they measured was, um, so people ask, well, how are you measuring their fitness? It was basically their VO2 max. So their body's ability to absorb oxygen when they're training, when they're you know aerobically working hard. Um, so that they look at how much that drops and also the stroke volume. So a stroke volume is how much blood your heart can beat per stroke, all right? Um, that was the what they were looking at for aerobic fitness. And then for strength gains, they were just looking at peak muscular force, which is a great um, indicator of strength. It's just how much force can this muscle put on this object, all right, to push it in one direction. So what they found was actually the opposite. After a four-week training break, um, those people lost more conditioning, okay? So they lost their ability to be aerobically fit. So what happened was their VO2 max dropped, their stroke rate drops, so how much blood their body can pump per beat drops. As a result, in order to actually do something, their heart rate had to go up, right? So if you have less volume of blood pumping, you have to pump your heart more times. So they had increased heart rate, which automatically increases fatigue, also decreases the amount of substrates available for energy. It does a whole you know, bunch of things physiologically. So, so that one is what decreased the most. Whereas their strength, while it did reduce, it was much more minimal compared to uh, the, the fitness. Um, and, what, and, and I was thinking, well, why, why is this? They're probably not, they're not testing out of, a, out of a peaking block. So we are not walking around year round, every day ready to jump in and do a one RM squat. You, nope. you can't, it's impossible. If you wanna stay there, you will burn out and just die. It's not gonna happen. That's why people peak for events, you know, ideally twice a year, right? Yeah. Megan, twice a year. <laughs> Okay, um, so so these guys are just doing general strength. Now, general strength builds good muscle, right? So what you'd expect to see is muscular atrophy, okay? When you stop training, that means your muscles are reducing in size, the fibers are reducing in size and, and, um, and length. Um, but really, you're not gonna get any of that over the first 10 days to two weeks 
detraining usually starts after two weeks. And then even then, they're still retaining most of their strength. Now, if they were to test for 1RMs, yeah, their top range strength might drop down a bit more. But their general strength just only diminished lightly. Okay, so that was kind of, I thought that was kind of interesting as well. Um, and that makes sense too. You'll see that in a lot of athletes. Um, and a great way to look at this is if you've played rugby and we talk about rugby a lot on this podcast, um, is that if you're looking at, at an athlete's ability to be big, strong and, and fit, so, and rugby is a great example of that. You have to be able to run around a pitch for 80 minutes um, and sprint and jog and, and sprint and, and you know, yeah, all these intermittent you know, while you're doing it. Yeah, and be, yeah. you know, heavy. Like even the backs now are big boys, right? Yeah. So they're carrying around a lot of weight. But then at the same time, they have to be able to brace for heavy impact. They have to be able to lock down at scrum time. They have to be able to lift and lines. They have to be able to secure balls at rucks. So it's a lot of strength required as well. Um, generally you'll see people gassing out they're still lifting the line outs you know what yeah. I mean they're still making they're their tackles right? but 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 their, their foot speed comes down right mm-hmm. so that's what you'll generally see with athletes that does sort of make sense um, I think what would be another de- uh, uh, determining factor Fiona would just be the length of how long you have as a break um, obviously yeah, yeah I, I think that's probably one of the, well, one the, of the length, main ones the length that you have on the break but also General activity levels. That's why the, these are kind of hard to quantify because muscle atrophy happens at different rates for different reasons. So if I was to punch Nevin in the side of the head while he wasn't looking and he slips into a coma for eight weeks, how long were these people not training for? So the high-trained athletes was four and the untrained older athletes was um, older. They weren't um, training for that long? Weren't training for 10 weeks and the athletes weren't training for four okay, weeks. So if Nevin just stopped training for 10 weeks and then got under a bar and squat, you could probably squat 100 kilos very comfortably. I don't think I'll never be able to I'll ever be able to not squat 100. Exactly. Kilos. But if I was to knock you out, you would be in a coma and then you would lie still in a bed for 10 weeks. There is not a chance in hell right. that you would be able to get up out of that bed and oh, no, a, bit a of an barbell athlete, so. on your back. Like bit, you would bit of an see athlete. total muscular dystrophy. Uh, you would atrophy? See atrophy, sorry. <laughs> muscular dystrophy, atrophy, muscular atrophy. Like total, atrophy. After, after a while of not moving, it mm. just, there's a much higher rate of breakdown. And then when you get out of that bed, you probably have a little bit of trouble walking again in general. Yeah, 100%. Like a really big difference. So it depends on what they're doing. Obviously, the age makes a big, a big impact, but it depends on what you're doing. So... Me being in this gym, if I didn't train for 10 weeks, but I'm still lifting things, spotting people, moving stuff around, but not training myself, I'm still moving a lot of weight. I'm still using my muscles. But if I'm lying in a bed for 10 weeks doing nothing, then there's no way in hell that I'd keep any of the muscle that I've got. I'm a pretty good example of that. I had literally about seven weeks off um, from some injury and everything like that, but I was still moving around the gym, spotting people, loading plates all day. And when I started squatting again, yeah, my weights were down, but like, I still could do everything and it wasn't that bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. But get me, but I, I ran a marathon a year and a half ago. Get me to go and run a marathon. Get out of here. Like, yeah. no, I will yeah. not. Even though all you need is time. But yeah, no, I would, uh, I would not do that. So um, I think and what Adrian said was actually really, you know, spot on was that it depends on your lifestyle. Mm. If you are, if you're a farmer and you're ripping out fence posts all day, but you're not hitting the gym, you're going to retain a lot of your gains. It probably doesn't matter. It probably, probably doesn't matter. Go to the gym. You probably but don't need to go there. If you're ripping out tractor tires and pulling out fences and like shearing sheep and throwing <laughs> them around, like you're a really physically active person. Like you're going to retain a heap of strength. If you're an accountant and you work for a really busy firm and you're on your computer all day, every day, and you don't get much time away from it, and you're just sitting in a chair all day long, you're not moving, you're not using much of anything. So of course, you're not going to be able to keep any strength. That that saying comes to mind, use it or lose it. Mm-hmm. It's true. You've got muscle in your body. It's resistance training. Everything is heavy. You're using the muscle you have. If you're not lifting, moving, 
being active, then of course you're going to lose it. Yeah. Um, this has been really bugging me. So I found a study that I was reading a while ago. I've been racking my brains today trying to find it. And I couldn't find it. Um, but it was it was much the same thing. There was a bunch of different control groups, roughly. There's a bunch of different control groups, people who had not trained and started training. Then there were people who were already training. Then there were people who are only weight training, people who are only doing cardio, people who are doing both. And the study found overall, and it was like a big study, it was 150. 40 people, something like that. It was like quite an extensive one. And over six weeks of training and then six weeks of not training, they tested um, max 1RMs and force output. And then they did VO2 max testing for for all of the control groups. Basically, there was a diminish in both the VO2 max and max strength, but strength diminished at a much slower rate than the VO2 max did. And it's bugging the crap out of me that I can't find it. That's right. I'm looking everywhere we'll have a look for it. It's really it's annoying good. me. I'm going to try and find it. I've, yeah. I, I've saved it somewhere, so I'm going to try and post it in the... But it's, a great, it's a great question. I really like that question, Fiona. So yeah. that, was, that was a nice one. Yeah. All right, it's what's next, fun. Adrian? What's next on the question uh, list? Next up, we've got... See, this one, I don't really understand this one. You'll have to elaborate. But uh, Grace said, oh. why is rep one so hard? So actually, what she's referring to is like when she jumps under a squat bar, mm. Like rep one always feels like, or like a deadlift, for example, rep one, oh man, that one just didn't feel good. And then like they get smoother as she goes. But is this like, why is rep one so hard? Rep one of like one rep max or of like 10 reps? No, 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 no. Rep one of a set of six, of a set of eight. Why is rep one, like probably not for like real high volume stuff because it's a lighter weight, but like why is like, for example, if you're doing a heavy set of five, why is rep one sometimes really hard as the first rep and maybe reps three and four feel like the best reps? I feel the exact opposite. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Uh, what do you think, Nevin? Ooh, Why do you believe that uh, rep one is the hardest rep? Well, pick me, pick me. I, it's the, um, I believe, I believe, Grace, this has got to do with your stretch shortening cycle. So if you are standing on a deadlift platform, okay. all right, what's well, got to do with two things? One, motor unit recruitment, all right, motor unit recruitment, and two, stretch shortening cycle. So that's so, when you get a bunch of cars together all at once? No, that's not what that is. <laughs> so basically, uh, we'll go over the, um, the short stretch shortening cycle first. So when a muscle stretches in one direction, has these little things called Golgi tendon organs, and they, send, they, they, send, they can tell that your muscle is stretching. And they're like, they send a message to the brain saying, yo, we're stretching, and if we keep stretching, we are going to hurt ourselves. We're going to tear. And so then a muscle, the brain sends then an impulse back down to the other muscle, right? Because muscles work in pairs. Bicep will curl this way, tricep pushes this way, right? So what happens is it sends a message to your other muscle saying, hey, contract harder quickly the other way. So you're not going to tear anything, right? Um, and that is a defense mechanism that the body has in place to not hurt yourself. Can be. Because if you had no you know, inclination that you're going to hurt yourself if you kept stretching something, people would get hurt all the time. Yep. There's a reason why people stop moving in their directions because For things example, are hurting. If I went like this, at some point, no matter how hard I push, it won't dislocate, right? Nev can dislocate it. I can't. I squeeze and nothing happens because my body is saying end range. If I didn't have that, I could do this and everything would keep going and my muscles would pull my joint apart, right? So you need to have an end range where that's finished. Otherwise, you turn your head and pop a disc. It doesn't right? even need to be end range. Like If you're just really unflexible and you have really tight hammies and you try to like touch your toes... Well, maybe you can't do that. If someone was to force you down, you'd probably of, pull your hamstring. One of two things is going to happen. You'll either stop or you will tear your hamstrings. Right. So your body is pretty clever and doesn't let you do that. Yeah. So what happens is it sends this impulse back down to the antagonist muscle, the other muscle, and tells it to contract harder the other way. So let's say if we are um, – a good example of this is – is bench press. If you you will see a lot of people just go down and, and bang it straight back up. They're using a stretch sorting cycle. Their pecs are stretching, all right? And as a pec stretch, it says, no, no, push back the other way quickly. So you go back the other way, okay? Um, 
With a deadlift, for example, you are starting at the bottom in a dead stop position. There is no stretch shortening cycle. So that first rep is hard. But keep in mind, even though there's a small pause, after, especially in this gym, we always recommend pausing every rep of the deadlift, is that when you are at the top and you come back down, even though you pause for a second, you still get the benefits of a stretch shortening cycle, not the full amount. A touch and, and go would give you the full amount. Potential energy and elastic energy. Correct. It builds up over time and it lasts a little bit. So unless you do a complete still pause for a few seconds, I can't remember how many. I think they said at five per seconds, you have a 100% reduction or eight per seconds, you have a 100% reduction of stretch shortening cycle, Something but you like need to pause for a long time. Quite a while. So once you start going, Grace, it's usually a little easier because you have this stretch shortening cycle. Um, also... If you're not ready for the intensity, so for example, if you were to just chuck 100 kilos in the squat bar and try to squat it, you, you haven't activated those muscles yet. They're not awake. They're not ready to go. So you're not recruiting as much muscle fibers as you can. Um, whereas if you were to go 40, 60, 80, 90, and then try 100, it's not just warming the body up. You are slowly increasing the amount of muscle fibers and um, motor units that you're recruiting for that lift. You're able to actually recruit more to use more. Correct. And um, that that's really important as well. So that's why a lot of people... Uh, injure themselves in the gym when they, when they say that you haven't warmed up enough. That's why, because you could be lifting with 40, 60, 80, 100, and then going from 100 and then hitting some heavy lifts after there instead of doing like one set with the bar and then starting at 100. You're actually not engaged enough and utilizing the right muscles enough. So you could lift that weight, but then instead of everything that should be working, working, smaller key muscles work and you pop a disc or pull something or strain something or, and that's yeah a big part of why people injure themselves a lot in the gyms they don't warm up well enough when you're lifting heavy weights you really need to prime your nervous system to be able to perform at that level yeah it makes a big big difference 100 yeah. percent. so yeah i think that's why um sometimes rep one can feel hard and once you get it going it's good it's probably a little bit of um, a stretch shortening cycle going on there also a part of um just that central nervous system and just priming the muscles to be able to to, to fire off i think there's a third reason i think there's another reason Ooh. and this one <clears throat> this one i see a lot in, in this gym i see a lot um let's call it a psychological reason why right what people are scared this happens a lot especially with squats they yeah. have a lot of scaredy cats in the bar, and they go like this oh that's really heavy and then we go you got this be confident and they do the first rep and they go oh okay and then they keep going yeah because <laughs> it feels a lot heavier than it is a little bit apprehensive a little bit unsure of yourself and then you do it and you're like oh, okay i got this and then that confidence kicks in as well mm -hmm. that is uh I, I see that quite a bit too yeah Andrew asks, with Olympic lifting or weightlifting, leaving the Olympics, which strength sport would you like to see replace it and why? I'll let you go first. This was a good one. Um, I personally would like to see just something weird and obscure that we haven't seen before. You know, like open the world up to something crazy. But, like what? All the ones that I really like already in there. <laughs> no, no, no. What strength sports strength are going sports, that, Arm wrestling. You would like to see arm wrestling in the Olympics? I would love to see arm wrestling in the Olympics. They've already got their own like massive competitions. They don't need to be in the Olympics. That would be cool. You want to test the strength? Let's throw down. <laughs> like the what, about the, the, what about the Russian, what about the Russian slap one? No. Yeah, yeah. No. You know what? You'd see people die because of that. Can so, you imagine so, the best slappers in the world? Yeah, that'd be terrible. Not the Olympics. You it would, would be terrible. Die. Um, all right, so, so, all right. So you would like to see it replaced with, and first of all, it's ridiculous that they're actually removing it. It is. Yeah, it's so stupid. They're I removing actually, I personally don't think it's going to stick. It, they, they're going to I think we it. made a bet that yeah. it's going to be, that decision is going to be revoked because so many people tune in to watch the, the Olympics specifically for I mean, it's, it's like it's it's almost iconic as part of the Olympics because you see those weightlifters doing those lifts. Like it's not even called Ollie lifting, it's called weightlifting, but it's yeah. so big in the Olympics that people call it Olympic, Olympic lifting. lifting. Right. So 
you know what I mean? Like, it, it, how can you take yeah. something that's so iconic away well, from... Well, I think they're going to. They, I mean, they, they are going to. They're keeping BMX, skateboarding, and um, and rock climbing in, and they're taking out weightlifting just ridiculous. and something else. Well, the reason why it really bugs me... Yeah. Was, why is it bug you, Adrian? Well, the reason why they're taking uh, Olympic lifting, weightlifting out of the Olympics is to try... Oh, it's because too many people are doing steroids, really, and they're having trouble regulating it. So they're like, oh, you're all a bunch of cheaters. Well, uh, yeah, everyone, everywhere, in every sport at the Olympics. does that. Every, if you think that there's only a few people doing steroids at the Olympics, you're dreaming. Most high-level athletes do this unofficially, anecdotal, all right? It's not this even anecdotal. Guys, they, they, so, they, they do. Here's they do. The thing, all high-level athletes take steroids. But no, not all high-level athletes. All high level all athletes. Them. Every no, single one true. on the it's entire place. It's not true. Everyone who is stronger than me does <laughs> steroids. It's not true. It's not true. <laughs> but guys, but a huge amount of people do dope because... They do. Yeah. And, and, and there's actually, there's been... Um, uh, I've got to look up what this is called. But basically, they... They asked a heap of athletes, and it's, it's, it's got a specific name now. You can Google it. Um, they asked a bunch of athletes, uh, if you could take a, a drug that would guarantee you gold at the Olympics, but you would die early, would you take it? And like 90% of people said yes, because of course they're there for Victory glory. Death, right? exactly. um, so here's the problem, is that, is that uh, doping is ripe in the Olympics. If you think it's not, you're crazy. They They just have stuff that you can't even test for right now. Yeah. First of all, there's ways to get around the current testing. And then they have stuff that they can't even test for. Well, the and way what they do is they retroactively or retrospectively yeah. test things. They from do. the London Games, they have now taken back like 70 gold medals or something from people that were caught cheating years ago. And you can't you can't beat progress. Like the, the tests that they have now, there's very intelligent people who are making these steroids who know about the test and what the testing is. And so they develop these new steroids they don't have tests for yet. And then they do this and then the testing catches up and then they do this and the testing. And it's just always been like that. Right. What they need to do is just have an open games where people can take whatever they want. And it's just the all time list. And you can, this. you can be natural. You can be a fake natty. No, you can no, be a food. full on what they should do and you just go for it. Is they should be the Olympics and the X Olympics. All right. Ooh, the Olympics the is natural all right and if you test positive once banned for life forever for the rest of your life in both of the olympics so you've got an olympics and an ex-olympics in the ex-olympics you can take as much steroids as you want you can do whatever you want you can be the biggest potato that you could possibly be you want to be 200 kilos and you want to clean and jerk snatch 500 kilos go for it i would love to see that and so would everyone everyone everywhere would tune in to watch that right what can the strongest person in the world with as much steroids as they can fit in their fat base to make them as strong <laughs> as possible. What can they do? That is amazing. I would love to see that, right? That would be something you'd watch because then you have a comparison, right? The strongest, most amazing athlete. Natural. What you, what, what, what human performance can actually do just naturally versus what science can put into a person to make them do right that's incredible right yeah that would be cool i would love to see that i've never seen you so passionate about because, something because it's ridiculous everyone and this is the thing that bugs me about it right this is why i get so heated about this please tell me a lot of people who get caught cheating they get they get done dirty right and all these papers are like like lance armstrong how could he do that he lied to all of us he was awful he was the boy he was amazing he was he is the best endurance cyclist he is the best of all oh, he's, time he's a cheater he's a you know who else was cheating? The next 17 people. Every other person that he raced against forever. The next 17 people have since they tested positive. all were yeah, on the same everyone. level as he was, and right. he was still better. So it's like me versus I'll clone myself. Boom. There's another Adrian here, right? It'd be terrifying. I take steroids, and he doesn't take steroids. 
Uh, well, he would beat the crap out of you. obviously going to win, be, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the I one. can perform as hard as I want without steroids and never get close to this guy. But we both take steroids and I go to a different gym. I get a different coach. And then clone Adrian goes to another place. We train differently as a slightly different work ethic. If we're both taking steroids and we're both roughly the same and both competing against each other, one person is still going to win. If I work harder than someone else, if we're both taking steroids, if I work harder, if I train more, if I sleep more, if I say no to drinking more, I don't socialize, I put my entire life into training and I'm still just better than you, I'm still just better than you. <laughs> I'm just better right? than you. That's how it works. That's why you have those people that are the best. How many times did Lance Armstrong win? Seven. It wasn't once. Seven. It wasn't twice. It wasn't seven. three times. It seven times. I could keep going. It was seven He's times. The best, yeah. right? It doesn't matter. Because all those other people were on steroids as well. They just can't out 17 people at once and then ruin cycling and have it taken out of the Olympics. It's just the way that it works. So Anyhow, it I happens, think we've actually, right? we've actually gotten way off, <laughs> off topic. Andrew yeah, was like, heat it up. It really grinds so, my gears. So let me tell you what I think, Andrew. <laughs> uh, with Olympic lifting, uh, with weightlifting, sorry, leaving the Olympics, um, what strength sport would I like to see replace it? Adrian says arm wrestling. I would say none. And that's controversial. And here's why. Because I you think, really like skateboarding? No. <laughs> no. Hey, <laughs> not a real sport. Get out of the Olympics. All right? No, here's, here's why. Is because, and I love powerlifting and strongman. I think they're great. It needs to be something that is standard. You cannot standardize strongman. It's one of the beautiful things about strongman is that every event is different. You need to train for a specific event if you're going to the Olympics. If you want to be the best in the, in the world, you've got to train for something specifically. I don't want to see who's the best over 20 different events and this and that. Right? It doesn't work that way. The Olympics is about who's the best at this. Powerlifting is three lifts, and I prefer powerlifting to weightlifting. Um, they have the same problems in trying to get clean athletes that all string sports would have. But I think the three lifts would make a drag on a lot longer than two lifts. And to be perfectly honest... There's too many people that do weird stuff that makes powerlifting look bad. Like in the like if you see someone with a crazy arch, for example, and they have a three centimeter range of movement on bench, or you see a tiny person with a wide sumo stance deadlift and they pull the bar about six, like that's not, yeah, it's impressive. They can lift a lot of weight, cool. But you can't get, get around. You can't do that in a clean and jerk and a snatch. Yeah. You can't, you can't, you can't cheat, cheat it. it with, with like leverages. 200 kilos over your head. It's, it's insane. So I actually think that weightlifting, as much as I prefer other sports like strongman and powerlifting, I think weightlifting is the perfect strength sport for the Olympics. Yep. Uh, but now that you said arm wrestling, I think that's great too. And I would love to see people do some arm wrestling. <laughs> I think the only problem with arm wrestling is that there'd be so many broken bones. It, yeah, there'd people be people break, would that, be people break their arms a lot. And they're, yeah. they're usually pretty messy breaks too. So um, yeah, I, I think I would like to see nothing replace it. I'd like to see them pull their thumbs out, kick skateboarding to the uh, curb. And um, just, just, just legalize steroids in the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> Just let, let them do their thing. Exactly. Yeah. All right, um, next question. So we've ooh, got uh, Byron. Uh, Byron. Pros and cons in a wide stance squat, uh, execution and tips. So what are the pros and cons of a wide stance squat? So are we we talking like, I guess, wide stance low bar squat? Yep. Right? Okay, yep. so you'll have to probably put a picture up for this one. So the people who don't know cool. the types of squats we've got. Narrow, can, narrow stance high bar? Narrow stance high bar? I was going to say conventional. Wide, yeah, or no, yeah, high, high bar, bar, yeah. And low bar wide stance. Yeah generally um, what you're going to do is you're looking at leverages. We're talking about leverages now. So um, first of all, not everyone born equal, all right? If you have... Racist. Hey, <laughs> when it comes to biomechanics and we're the talking, human's physiology... Not about not the every, color of your skin, you yeah. awful, horrible... We're talking trolls. about biomechanics. <laughs> is that some people at the hip angle where your, where your femur goes into your hip socket, if you have a different angle to someone else, 
it affects how deep you can squat in an upright position, okay? That's just facts. It's not be, being um, a hippist or, or a femurist. It is just the way it is. Also, um, people with really long femurs and long legs generally need to do more of a sit-back, wider stance squat. Shorter people with shorter femurs, shorter legs, um, with the correct height, height, uh, uh, angle of the hip, can literally squat straight up and down. So they make great Olympic lifters, right? Um, so That's one, it could really be, impressive Chinese it, yeah, it could just be um, why do people do it out of necessity? That could be a difference. You know, you just biomechanically are more suited to doing a wider stance squat. Um, what are some of the pros and cons? If you are a really quad dominant person, um, it would be a con because you use more quads in an upright position. So when you're doing a wider stance sit back squat, you're gonna be using more posterior chain, more hammies, more glutes, so and it's, more it's, more lower back. And depending on how how much like how far down you can get the bar and how far back you have to sit, it's very similar to a deadlift with some people. You get that really really dominant hip hinge more than like the the. The yep. bending at the knee. You so. reduce the range of motion that the knee has to bend exactly. as well. So that could be a pro. Uh, a pro. So one, the sit-back uh, squat is going to be more suited for someone with a strong posterior chain. And <clears throat> you also, uh, a positive of it is you're doing a, a smaller range of motion. You're maximizing your leverages. Um, but the cons are if you're a quad dominant, um, it might not be great for you. Yeah, um, it's actually quite interesting. And I think the reason why Byron asked this is because he ha he's had a knee injury mm -hmm. and he, he had full range of motion, then had a knee injury. And now he's, he's just limited in his range of motion. <clears throat> and we can't squat as conventional anymore. So we've switched to low bar. And the reason why I did that is because now he shoots his hip hips way way back and his knee bends just just more than 90 degrees but barely and it's perfect for him because he can load that up all day long as heavy as he wants and he isn't going to have any issues with that knee so we switched to that stance just because of that knee injury mm -hmm. uh so that's that's actually a, a good point as yeah. well for a lot of people who can't squat past grass for whatever reason maybe they just can try a bit more of a low bar <laughs> or, they, or they have uh yeah they have some sort of injury that limits their range that's a really good one yeah the cons I see a lot of shoulder, I've seen a lot of shoulder injuries. Yeah, shoulder injuries for sure, because it's like really forcing it down your back. It can really strain rotator cuffs. You can have sort of some mid-back injuries and as I well. Say low bar, you're trying to squat heavy, right? So let's say, yeah. for example, 200 kilos. Now I can rest 200 kilos up on my traps here and just stand up with it. But low bar, it almost sits across like the bottom of your scapula. It can get quite low. So you see people with their hands jammed in, wearing wrist wraps, and it sits in your hands more than it rests on your back. And that's a Lot of weight to be holding in your hands behind your shoulders than letting rest on your shoulders so if you don't have the strength if you haven't conditioned yourself and your shoulders to handle that weight in that it's a very compromising position i've seen a lot of rotator cuff injuries i've seen a lot of like joint injuries wrist injuries it's a lot of weight to be holding in your hands in such an awkward position if you haven't conditioned for it mm -hmm. so that's a con is it can be pretty unforgiving on yeah we actually watched a video just this morning of mark bell doing a wide stance squat where he got popped out of the bottom because yeah. his knees buckled in. Mm -hmm. So here's when talking about um, execution and tips is that how wide should I go? You should only go as wide as you can maintain a strong um, structure. So basically the same rules apply. Like if your knees are caving in, if you can't keep your knees out and over your toes, um, or tracking the same line as your toes and knees, um, it's too wide for you. And what will happen is it'll push you into a really shitty position at the bottom um, and, and a much higher chance of hurting yourself. 
Um, also, you need to work on, if you're in a wide stance squat, work on strengthening and lengthening and getting better mobility through your um, hip flexors. So the, sorry, hip flexors, your um, adductors, the inside of your thigh um, and your hamstrings because they get a heap more stretch through them. Yep. So um, there would be some limiting factors. How tight is in your lower body? Like you wanna be loose enough or flexible enough that you can actually get into a strong position. Mm -hmm. And that would be probably the main limiting factor that you should work on. Yeah. Yeah, and strong enough a body to be able to, you know, support that bar on there. Yeah, well, it's, doesn't matter what squat you do. If you start all the way down here from the very beginning, put a barbell on your back and then work your way up to your heavy squat, mm -hmm. chances are you'll probably be fine. But switching from a conventional to uh, a low bar squat all of a sudden is not a good move. Yeah, take your time with it. It's almost like a different exercise. It's, it's like comparing squats to deadlifts. You use a lot of similar muscles, but it's a very different It's move. different mechanics. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. If, uh, if you're looking at the pros and cons of each – there are a lot of different pros and cons and you do it for a lot of different reasons. But if you start small and work your way up slowly, there's no reason why you couldn't do either of them. Yep. Um, Jess asks, what are some tips and tricks to stay motivated in the gym? You have any? I've got so many. <laughs> where, where do I even start? Um, tips, and tips and tricks to stay motivated in the gym. Mm. Challenge someone. Challenge. Find a friend. Find someone you know on Instagram um, that you can get some like back and forth with. You can like post videos to and from. Find someone or something that you can challenge yourself with. Having something, lots of little goals to aim for and achieve, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be anything, silly stuff, fun stuff. Just something that gives you a reason to do things. Um, challenging a friend, uh, go out for lunch every single Sunday. Go to the gym every Sunday morning. Whoever wins the whatever challenge buys lunch. Stuff like that. You right. know what I mean? Like some sort of reason to to make it fun for yourself. Challenge. Ch challenge. The challenge is really good. Um, so you can challenge someone or you can just have internal challenges. Like uh, if you're so inclined. Like I'm a competitive person. So I like to look back what? at what I've done. You? Uh, yeah, you're man. a competitive person. So I look back. It's not so much about <laughs> challenging other people. Like although we have fun challenges and stuff. A lot of it is like... I really want to get this PB this year. And that's enough for me to want to really work hard and get that get that PB and smash that goal. If you're not so inclined to be personally um, motivated, then challenging other people and getting a community together that's all doing similar things, that's a great way. Another really fantastic way is to change the emphasis of your training. I've just started doing it. I've added some more Strongman events back in. It's been over a decade since I've done Strongman and I'm loving it. I'm three weeks in and I, I can't believe I haven't trained it in so long. So just by changing your emphasis, and how you train or what your end goal might be can really refresh the whole training process for you. Yeah, I um, it's always hard to say this because it sounds off, it sounds wrong. It sounds like I'm a bit of a dick. Well, but um, the way that I intrinsically motivate myself is that I don't look for things to achieve. I look for people to be better than. Oh, um, you do sound like a dick when you say that. I know, right? But <laughs> let me explain. Um, I like being good at stuff. Yeah. Uh, I like I like being better than other people. First of all, who doesn't like being better than other people, right? What's the point of, of, of status? What's the point of achieving and striving? You're, you're not just trying to be the best version of people. Like, be the best version of you. But you're trying to climb some sort of status ladder, right? Whether it's getting your name up on a board or winning in a competition or just lifting more than someone else that you see at the gym or like setting yourself those small personal goals. I never run out of people to try and beat Right? If I 
push myself. I can push myself to my absolute limit. But then I see someone else doing something kind of cool, kind of fun, kind of interesting. And I'm like, that is awesome. How do I do that? How do I be better than them at that? How do I achieve that? And you find someone else and something else or someone else and something else. And you can just, you can do that forever. So that's a way that I motivate myself. I never tell them and I'm not like, yes, suck it. I just keep that <laughs> to myself. But it gives me these little, these little, uh, it's almost like, a hologram, like a fake thing, a fake competition that I create in my mind to keep me wanting to push myself and strive for something. It's just trying to pick a person and then just beat them at that. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, well, there you go. Jess, I hope some of those help you. Um, Ash T says, uh, how do we one. get family members to practice healthy eating habits? I was actually thinking about this in the shower earlier. Well, shower I don't things. want to know what you do in the shower, Rachel. I, right? I, I don't care. Think about the questions from our questions. All right. Podcast, yeah, all yeah. Right. Better that's what you do in the uh, shower. I... I thought about this a little bit and I landed on lead by example. Lead by example. That's a and great this one. Is, this is from personal experience and, I, and I'm going to start with why I think that, right? All right. So I see this, it happened to me a lot and it happens to a lot of, a lot of my clients. And I have this conversation over and over and over and over. Uh, perfect example when I was doing carnivore diet, right? Uh, I did that for, for me. I just wanted to see if it worked. I started off doing it as, as like an elimination diet, liked it, stuck with it, got super lean, felt really good with it and just, just kept doing it. And for a really long time, for about a year solid, I stuck very, very strictly to it. And people would ask me about it and I never was like, oh yeah, you should do carnival, carnival, you should do it, you should do it. You should. I'd be like, you do whatever you want to do. Like go get some blood tests, but do whatever you want to do. It might yep. not be for you, but I did it for me. And because I was so strict with it, I didn't drink for almost an entire year. I never deviated away from my diet except for like my designated cheat meals. I stuck to my guns. Um, people feel really bad about themselves when you're really good um, with, the whole time. <laughs> with, with eating because people, they always say things like, uh, I'm trying to eat good, but they love their beer or something like that, right? And then when you're really good with your diet, with your nutrition, it makes them feel bad that they're not doing it. So people will try to, bully you into just stuff. Be a good, just be first. a good example around people. Exactly. People yeah. try and like bully you. They try to they try to like, oh, just have one. Just have one. Just eat this. Just eat. And the better you are and the stricter you are and the more solid you are in your convictions, people over time will slowly come around. If you just lead by example and keep doing what you're doing and doing what you're doing, if you don't falter, people will start to see the benefits. They'll start to slowly warm up to it. And then they'll start to ask questions like, how did you start? Or why did you do this? Or And they'll start to you can't force it down people's throat. Mm -hmm. but if you make them willing to accept that it can be done and that you actually enjoy it and it makes you feel good, then they're more likely to kind of come around to the idea and then make some changes themselves. So lead by example is a really good one because I get that with a lot of people, a lot of my clients who start training and getting really good results and feeling fantastic about themselves and they're doing it for themselves, but other people are seeing that. Mm -hmm. And so slowly over time, everyone around them starts to see that and then yeah, it's, it's right. Just... Okay, so I, I get the leading by example. Um, my take on it is is one: if you're around someone all the time, sure, try to lead by example. Two is give them a logical reason of why they should make changes. And of course, you can say, "Oh, you'll be healthier." This, that, and the other. People are like, "Oh, I can't lose weight." An example of this would be uh, my my mum. She wanted to drop a few kilos. You said, "We don't have to do anything drastic." All right. She drinks three coffees a day. She had 150 mils of milk in each coffee. And I just sat it down. I said, look, look at this math. It's so simple. Half the number of, half the amount of milk you put in each, instead of 150 uh, mils, you do 75, okay? And we add this up on a daily count. 
on a weekly count, on a yearly count, and the total number of calories that she would save by just having the amount of milk that she had in her coffee was the equivalent to like 18 to 20 days worth of eating, worth of calorie allowance, right? She's like, you're telling me if I just half my milk, I could eat for 20 more days and be the same way? So yeah, or you don't and you lose weight. Yeah. And these are small changes, <laughs> right? Do and, and she did, she saw it, she did it, and she lost a bunch of weight, mm. all right? It's so sometimes it's promoting um, a logical thing, showing them how it would work, um, but when it comes down to in the end is the person has to make a change. So again, in our industry, we can recommend people go see a nutritionist, right? But really, if they're not ready to make the change, you're not going to force the them to make the change. amount of times people have come to the gym that I have worked at, paid me money for my advice, and then ignored it would make you pull your hair out. Yep. Why do you think I am both? <laughs> no, it's, um, it's, it's, it's crazy, really. Um, people know and people don't care. They, they are just not willing to change their ways. But for, for a lot of reasons as well. And I think... And, and, for and a lot of, of reasons. Yeah, with a lot of reasons. And again, we're not psychiatrists, so we don't even... Like, there's a whole mental aspect there to is. it. There is. There's quite a big one. And if you don't struggle with it, it's something that you just don't know, right? Exactly. Um, so again, I think in the end, try to lead by example. Yep. Try to give them a logical reason why. Give them a good example. Give them the advice to be able to go to a nutritionist. Um, to take that next step, encourage them. Um, but in the end, it comes down to them. Now, we are running low on battery, so I'm just going to push through to the next one, okay? okay. I'm flashing. Um, is is the Maureen. Last one as well. Yeah, last one. Last question, guys. Uh, Maureen says, how do I improve my balance? Okay? And, um, and, and this is a good question. And I'm going to break it down pretty quickly. You can improve your balance, and especially, this is really important. Uh, it's not just for the developing, like kids and stuff, but if you're getting older as well and you're becoming a higher risk for like falling and stuff like mm -hmm. that, um, balance and proprioception is really important. So how do you improve that? One, strengthen your major muscles by squatting, doing you know light hex bar deadlifts. You're building your glutes. You're building your hamstrings and quads. You are building all those strong muscles that stabilize you when you're standing there or when you're moving and walking. Mm -hmm. Two, move to a unilateral balance. So if you're doing split Bulgarian split squats, lunges, walking lunges, something that is a unilateral movement, open chain, so not just in a leg press pushing one way, but where you actually have to balance yourself. That's a great way to then improve the balance. So you improve your major muscle, then you go unilateral. Two, you might then do, I don't want to say functional, but you can then work on like active balancing. So you could stand on a BOSU ball where it's wobbly and you just have to balance and be still. And that's more of a fine motor tuning. Like you're just getting everything to work a bit more um, in sync. And then fourth is you can add a stimulus to it, something like throwing and catching a ball while that person is balancing. So there are four ways in a nice progression. One, get a little stronger. Two, make sure you're strong on both your limbs independently of each other. Three, add some actual balance work in. And four, add a stimulus to try to balance as well at the same time. That would be my, um, that would be my suggestion. I would agree. Cool. You concur, sir? I do. He concurs. Um, one really interesting one that um, I, I, I stumbled across was uh, functional training. Oh. Um, actually balancing a balance beam and not like a balance beam high off the ground. Obviously, if you don't have great balance, it's bad for you. Something with lots of support with your hands that you can use to support yourself around you. But standing on something like a, a rail or something like that, you can get lots of, of just training rails. It's just a metal beam this high up off the ground. Very, very stable. And you just walk across it. Use things that are very, very difficult to balance on and just balance on them. Like yeah. Practice the act of actually balancing as well. Yeah, that's that's kind of a fun one too. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Well, guys, look, I really enjoyed this one. Thank you all for your questions. If you haven't done so already, please like, subscribe, share, comment, give a thumbs up, all that good stuff. 
and leave us a comment on something you'd like answered on the next question answer podcast. We like these podcasts. We like these ones. They're quite fun. So ask some interesting questions. Cool. Right? Uh, the, the, the weirder the better. Just some fun stuff. Some fun stuff. Let's do... Uh, you know what we should do what? in the next podcast? This is one for everyone watching right now, okay? We sometimes get silly questions. People write silly stuff on the board in the gym and we rub them out. Ask your silly questions. We're not going to answer them, but if they're good enough, we'll list out all the silly questions at the start of the next questions and answers podcast because that would be fun because people ask some outrageous things. Cool. Okay. All right. So I'm do that. Let us, let us hear your silly questions. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you on the next one. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.